Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, God is Able. All right, well, if you're with us last week, you know that Paul continued to make his case, right, against the false teaching of justification by works and for the true teaching, right, of justification by faith. Justification, theological word, true, but very important word because it comes from God. It's in the Bible over and over and over. And so what does it mean to be justified? By way of review, uh, from the Ryrie Study Bible, which, by the way, I think is one of the best study Bibles out there. But the word justified was a legal term meaning to secure a favorable verdict, to acquit. The idea there is to acquit us of our sins, to vindicate. The idea there is to clear us of all wrongdoing. And if that wasn't good enough, to declare us righteous. And so the problem, as we talked about last week, is that wherever Paul went, he encountered people who were trying to justify themselves by their works. Wherever Paul went, he encountered people um, that had this mindset. I have to establish my own righteousness before God so that God will accept me. Paul encountered people who had this, uh, this mentality. You know, I'm a good person Therefore, at the end of my life, if there's a God, he's going to look at my life, he's going to see my good deeds, and then he's going to allow me into his kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the message of man-made religion, and it is absolutely a false message. And by the way, it wasn't just Paul who encountered this in the first century. We still encounter it today. By the way, the majority of the world's population, what is there, seven plus billion people on the planet? The majority of people on our planet believe that they have to somehow earn their way, be good enough, live a good enough life for God maybe to accept them in the end. Again, it's a it's man-made religion, it's a false message. So in order to refute this false message, What does Paul do? Paul brings in, remember this from last week? The hero of the Jewish faith. A man who is esteemed, respected, revered by Jew and Gentile alike. His name, of course, is Father Abraham. So when Abraham was 85 years old, while he and his wife Sarah were still childless, God brings Abraham out underneath the night sky in Genesis 15, and this is what God says to Abraham. Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. In other words, Abraham, I know that you and Sarah have been trying a long time to have a son, and I know at this stage of your life, you're 85 She's 75. At this stage of your life, the idea of having a baby seems impossible. But what you got to understand, Abraham, is that I am the God of the impossible. I can do whatever I want to do. 
I'm the creator and sustainer of all things. And so you guys will have a son, and your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. How did Abraham respond to God? Next verse. And he, what's the word? Believe. Believe. There it is. Not an intellectual scent. Trust. He believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him, Abraham, for what? Righteousness. Not self-righteousness, not the way Abraham lived. No. Abraham was a sinner who needed grace. And so when Abraham trusted, not just in the Lord, but trusted that what the Lord said he would do, even though it seemed impossible, then and only then was Abraham justified before God. And so sure enough, 15 years later, he's 85 years old. He's got to wait another 15 years. That's because it's all about God's timetable, not ours. So finally, you remember from last week when he was 100, Sarah was 90. She gives birth to Isaac. Okay, the point that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 4 again and again, he's got to keep pounding it, right? Because people, the vast majority of the world, believe I have to establish my own righteousness before God. Okay, so his point is Abraham was justified, acquitted, vindicated, declared righteous by faith alone. Okay, and so still talking about Abraham here, look at verse 13. He says, for the promise that he would be, and I want you to underline, if you don't mind marking in your Bible, the next four words. Heir of the world. That excites me. I'll explain why in a little while. And so the promise that Abraham would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his uh, descendants through the law, trying harder, right? But through the righteousness of what? Faith. Okay, here's your next point. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would be heirs of the world, This is crazy when you think about it. And so let me uh, set the stage for you. In Genesis 12, right, Abraham is 75 years old. Abram was his name back then. Okay, and so he's from, remember, Mesopotamia. He's surrounded by false religion. He's surrounded by false gods. His own family are a bunch of pagan idolaters. No doubt Abraham uh, was a pagan idolater, And yet, God, by his grace, not because of anything Abraham did, he revealed himself to Abram. Which God? The only God, Yahweh. He revealed himself to Abram, right? And what did he say in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3? He said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, listen. In you, Abram, all the families of the entire earth are going to be blessed. Okay, question. How in the world can all the families be blessed through Abraham? Answer, through one particular special descendant of Abraham, and his name is, help me out, Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. You say, how do you know that? Here's how, Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is who? Christ, okay? We get the word Christ from the Greek, Christos. It means Messiah. 
And so here's the point. Through Abraham, the Messiah would one day come. And when the Messiah would come, by the way, he'd be a Jewish Messiah. And so once again, through Abraham, the Jewish Messiah would come. And that Jewish Messiah would bring a special blessing for the entire world. What's the special blessing for the entire world? It's the offer of eternal life in the coming kingdom. And so the blessing, which you got to understand, this blessing is not just for Jews. You'd think Jewish Messiah, okay, he's coming for just the Jews. No, 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 no. This blessing, once again, listen, the blessing is eternal life in the coming kingdom. That blessing is not just for believing Jews. It's also for believing Gentiles. Some of you are new to the Bible and you're thinking, what in the world's a Gentile? And is it a disease or something? Do I have it? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, it's very simple. There's two types of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. Okay, and so this promise of this, this blessing being heirs of this Abrahamic blessing, eternal life in the coming kingdom, not just for believing Jews, it's also for believing Gentiles. You say, prove it. Okay, we'll, we'll prove it. And the scripture, by the way, nothing else matters. When it comes to life and eternity and God and theology and heaven and hell, don't look to man, look to the scriptures. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would, there's our word again, justify, acquit, vindicate, declare righteous, the, okay, what, what's the word there? Gentiles, not just the Jews, not just believing Jews, but the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you, how many nations? All the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of what? Are blessed with believing Abraham. And so the blessing, listen, listen, the blessing of eternal life through faith in the Messiah, it's not just to Abraham's physical descendants, believing Jews. It's also to Abraham's spiritual descendants, believing Gentiles. The, the, the blessing of being an heir of eternal life in the coming kingdom is for anybody. I'm from the South, pardon the bad English. It's for all y'all. All y'all out there who believe in Jesus, who have trusted Jesus Christ, that blessing is for everybody. I'm just wondering, how many Gentile believers in Jesus Christ do we have here today with us? Just raise your hand, nice and tall. Everybody watching online, raise your hand in your living room, okay? Put them down. How many Jewish people who've trusted Jesus Christ as your Messiah are here today? Let me just see your hand. If that is you, anybody at all, God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Any other Jewish people that are here among us? By the way, we're so indebted to the Jewish people. We have been grafted in. Thank God for that, right? Thank God for that. Okay, and so whether you raised your hand as a Gentile or whether you raised your hand as a Jewish person, if you believe in Christ, this next verse is for you. Check it out. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed or descendants, and, what's the word? Heirs according to the promise. We're heirs. Heirs of what? Heirs according to the promise. Why? We put our faith in Christ. 
And so everybody, on the count of three, I want you to say, I'm an heir of Abraham. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, this is you, okay? On the count of three, one, two, three, go. I'm an heir of Abraham. On the count of three, everybody say, I am an heir. Okay, one, two, three, go. You ever remember in Sunday school, those of us who went to Sunday school? Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons? Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We all do the circle thing and, and praise the Lord in class. By the way, they have, they're having so much fun right now over in Shine Children's Ministry. And what goes on over there is just as important what goes on in here. We thank you for investing your kids to us. We do our best to have ministry partners who love these kids and pour into these kids and protect these kids and help these kids understand Jesus and the Word of God on their level, by the way. And so we should thank all of our Shine Children Ministry partners right now. So grateful for them. So you are an heir, an heir, H-E-I-R. And some of you are thinking, because you're new to the Bible, an heir of what, right? A million dollars? Oh, so much better than that. Look at the first part of 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed or descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so if you have come to God, I love this. I get excited about this. And so if I jump off the stage, I'm sorry. Um, I have to contain myself here, okay? But when you think about what am I an heir of, so much better than a million dollars. Hey, if you have come to God the same way that Abraham came to God through faith alone, then you are an heir of the Messiah's kingdom, which is coming to this earth. And by the way, it's not little ghosts floating up into the clouds where we're going to strum harps with little halos over our head about this big, you know, forever and ever. That has nothing to do with the Word of God. Jesus Christ is coming back to this planet literally. He's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, literally. He's going to reign over the entire world for a thousand years and then forever, literally. And so some of you, those of you who have come to God the same way Abraham came, through faith in Christ alone, then you are an heir of that kingdom. Some of you are going to reign over five cities. Some of you are going to reign over ten cities. All of our minds are going to be completely blown by the majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to be blown away. He's going to be so awesome. Listen, some of you guys get more excited about the election that's going to happen in the United States of America this year than about the kingdom that goes on forever. Now, I, I agree. You know, all of us should go vote tomorrow in the Florida primary. That's our responsibility. We should especially vote in November, right? But, but here's the thing. The person who gets elected as the next president in our country, that person is just going to be there for four, maybe eight years, when Jesus comes back, it's not for four years. It's not for 40 years. It's not for 400,000 years. It's not even for 4 million years. Before I fall off the stage, it's not even for 4 billion years. He's coming back forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the kingdom that we got to get excited about. The question is, are you ready? 
Are you prepared? Because if he came back today, many of you would be totally shocked. I can't believe it. Listen, I've been telling you every week. He's coming back. Don't be shocked. Be ready. Be ready. Now, we don't know if he's coming back tomorrow, this year, next year. We don't even know if it's 40 years from now. I, opinion, opinion, I got to say it three times so I don't get emails. My opinion is that he will come back in my lifetime. That's my hope, right? But whether he comes back in my lifetime or not, he's coming back. Why? Because God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. He's coming back. Okay, so let's get excited about his kingdom, about what he's doing, right? Now, how can you and I be an heir of the kingdom? By trying hard to keep the law? Is that how? Well, look at verse 13 again. All right, the promise that he would be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. No. But through the righteousness of what? Faith. Faith. Ladies and gentlemen, Abraham could never be justified by keeping the law. You say, why not? Listen, it's very easy. Abraham lived 1,900 years before Christ. The law was not given until 400 years later through a man named who? Help me out. Moses. 1,500 B.C. or so, Moses comes down Mount Sinai with the, the law of God. Okay, and so Abraham could not have been justified by keeping the law. There was no law. Abraham was justified, acquitted, vindicated, declared righteous by faith alone. We have to come to God the same way. Look at verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, right, those who are trying to earn their way, if they're heirs of the kingdom, listen, faith is made, what's the word? Void. And the promise, the promise of eternal life in the coming kingdom, it's made of, what's the next two words? No effect. Because the law brings about what? Wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, what in the world is Paul saying in these verses? I'll just sum, sum it up for you this way. If you think that your works can justify you, then you're implying that you don't need Christ. Is that the Lord? <laughs> is he trying to correct me? Did I say something wrong? I'm kidding. If you think works can justify you, then you're implying that you don't need Christ. Thus, the promise of eternal life cannot apply to you. Now, a Jewish person may, and not all Jews say this because Jesus was a Jew, Paul was a Jew, Matthew was a Jew, Peter was a Jew, the whole first century church initially were Jewish believers in Christ. But a Jew may say, listen, I was circumcised, I go to synagogue every Saturday, I only eat kosher food, therefore at the end of my life, God's going to look at all my goodness, he's going to accept me into his kingdom. A churchgoer may say, I was baptized, 
Man, I go to church every Sunday. I receive communion every Sunday. Therefore, God's at the end of my life going to look at all my good deeds. He's going to say, come on in. A moralist may say, I don't go to church, but I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And so if there is a God, at the end of my life, he's going to see that I was a decent person, and he's going to let me into heaven. Okay, what's the common, whether you're religious or irreligious, what is the common denominator in all those statements? Works. Me and my works. Okay, if that is your mindset, okay, if you think your works are going to save you, then you're implying you don't need Jesus Christ. If that's your mindset, it's all about me and my works, look at verse 14, then faith is made void. Right? Why do you need faith in Jesus? You have faith in yourself. Why do you need to trust Jesus? You're trusting yourself. I've told you before, I grew up in the church. I had a wrong understanding about heaven and hell and my relationship with God. I thought, I sincerely thought, if you would have asked me when I was 17 years old, I would have told you, I'm going to go to heaven. Of course I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good guy. I pray every night. And then I was confronted with the gospel of grace. Okay, and then when, here's what happened. When I finally understood it's not about me and my works, and I stopped trusting me and completely trusted Jesus Christ, at that moment, I was born again, regenerated. God's spirit spoke to my spirit that I'm a child of God. Now when I worship, I sense God's presence now, sometimes when I pray, the Spirit moves in my heart. Why? Because that part of me that was dead in trespasses and sins, my spirit, has now been made alive by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. So as long as you're saying, me, 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 it's all about me. Have I been good enough? Have I performed enough? Listen, as it says, look at verse 14, if that's your mindset, the promise is made of no effect. You say, what promise? The promise of eternal life in the coming kingdom. It's made of no effect if you think it's by your works. Pretty clear, right? Most of the world needs to hear this because most of the world thinks it's their works. If your mindset is it's all about me and my works, whether where I'm going to spend eternity, then in verse 15... Because you're living by the law, it says the law brings about what? Wrath. All that awaits you in the next life is God's wrath. You say, I don't like that. Listen, God's, it's been written down for thousands of years. What else could he do? He's trying to warn us. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise may be, and I want you to underline or circle the word sure, very important, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, yet Jewish believers in Jesus, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, that's Jews and Gentiles, 
who come to God through faith. Abraham, end of verse 16, who is the father of us all. Okay, next point, if you're taking notes, God wants his children to be sure of his promise of eternal life. Now, you got to understand that right now, today, and for the past 2,000 years, okay, uh, churches have taught this. No one can be sure of eternal life in heaven until you die. You ever heard this? No one can be sure until you die. Now, the reason a lot of churches teach that is because they say that you don't know if God's going to accept you or not because it's all about how you live. Now, to me, that's so sad. If you're with me, can you say amen here? Hey, listen to this. Can you imagine if that's the way that I related to my daughters? I have three daughters, uh, Megan, Mandy, and Mary, okay? Can you imagine if I related to my daughters on the basis of their performance every day? Okay, if that's the way I related to them, right, then here's, here's what they would always be thinking as they grew up in, in, in our home. They'd always be thinking, does dad love me today? Does dad accept me today? Have I performed well enough for dad today? If I mess up, am I still going to be called his daughter? Now, if I knew that any of my daughters were thinking that way, that'd break my heart as a dad. How much more does it break God's heart when we think the same way about him? Right? Man-made religion tells us to think this way. Does God love me today? I don't know. Does God accept me today? I don't know. Have I performed well enough for God today? I don't know. Man, if I, if I, if I mess this thing up, am I still going to be his child? I don't know. I'm not sure. Listen, it goes exactly the opposite of verse 16. God wants us to be absolutely sure. Look at it again in verse 16. He says, therefore, concerning the promise of eternal life, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise may be, what's the word? Sure. He wants you to be sure. Here's why. Because where we go when we die doesn't depend on our performance. It depends on his promise. That was so good. I'm going to say that one again. Because some of you guys are thinking about lunch right now. I should have made that a point, right? Listen. The promise, the, the, the blessing through the special descendant of Abraham, King Jesus. The blessing which is offered to the whole world. The offer of eternal life in his kingdom that's coming, right? That is not based on our performance. It's based on God's promises. We got to come to God the same way Abraham did, not by works of the law. The law didn't exist. But believing that what God said, he would absolutely do. Look at verse 17. As it is written... God says to Abraham here, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. 
who contrary to hope, verse 18, in hope believed, this is Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Okay, the next point, if you're taking notes, is Abraham trusted God's promise even when it seemed impossible. Now, in order to understand Romans 4, we got to understand Genesis 17, right? So hold your place in Romans 4. Go backwards now in time, some 2,000 years from the time Paul wrote to the church at Rome, all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Okay. Now remember, you say, where are we in the Bible? Okay. Remember, in Genesis 12, God appears to 75-year-old Abram. Right? In you, Abram, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And then, 10 years later, we get to Genesis 15. And now, God says to an 85-year-old Abraham, Abraham, come out underneath the stars, check it out. Count them if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. He's still without child. Sarah still has never had a kid. Okay, now where are we in the Bible? Now we're in Genesis 17. Abraham is 99 years old. You see, when you read Genesis, you think just days or weeks have passed by. No, it's years. Now, in between, listen, in between Genesis 15, Abraham's 85, and Genesis 17, Abraham's 99, okay? So in, in between that 25 years or so, Abraham and Sarah continue to try to have a son. Sarah's not getting pregnant. So do you know what they decided to do? They decided to try to help God out. They decided to try to help God fulfill his promise. And so they're trying, they're trying, they're trying. Sarah's not getting pregnant. Finally, Sarah's like, Abraham, look at my handmaiden, Hagar. She's young and beautiful. Maybe God wants to fulfill his promise through her. And so, Abraham, I want you to take Hagar as your wife. Right? Abraham looks over at Hagar and thinks, man, this is my lucky day or whatever. You know, just like, <laughs> oh, this happened, right? My wife is telling me to do this, right? And so he does it. Listen, they're trying to help God out. God doesn't need our help. From the beginning, it's one wife for life. Go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis. One man, one woman, supposed to be for, for life. Okay, but now here's a new plan. Take Hagar. And so he has sex with Hagar. And she gets pregnant. You remember the name of her son, Ishmael. Now, God, God loved Ishmael, but, but here's the thing. Ishmael is an illustration of a work of the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. When I think about Pastor Chuck Smith, and I think about what God has done through Calvary chapels all across the world, when I think of what God did through that man in the late 60s and the 70s and the 80s, 
where here you have a guy who just stood there behind a pulpit, read a verse, explained it, read a verse, explained it. He wasn't flamboyant. He wasn't charismatic. And as he's doing that, the Spirit of God is working. Thousands are coming. Over the years, hundreds are going out to plant churches. That's what you call a work of the Spirit. And then, after all that happens, everybody wants Chuck Smith to come speak at the church growth seminar. What's the secret of your success? How can we do what you've done? Right? And he would so frustrate these people because he'd give answers like this. It's the work of the Spirit. You just got to wait on the Lord. You got to spend time in prayer. You got to trust him. No, 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 no. And they would pull their hair out, right? Figuratively. You know, you, can you make a manual? Can you write the steps down? Can we figure this thing out? No. It's a work of God. You got to let God do it. It's kind of like trying to grab water. You can't grab water. And so it's the same thing with the story of Abraham and, and Sarah. Let's, let's help God out with his promise. Let's, let's, let's do it this way. And it's a work of the flesh, and it's, it causes so many problems down the line. And so what happens now is Abram is 99 years old, and God has been silent to him for some 15 years. God reappears to Abram in Genesis 17. All right, and so look at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of how many nations? Many. No longer shall... See, the gospel's way back here. Not just the Jews. The whole world. Or, or the, the, all the nations of the world have this offer through a descendant of Abraham. Verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, for your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations come from you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you also I give you uh, to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan that's the promised land as an, what's the next two words? Okay, leave the Jews and their land alone. Leave them alone. It's an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Okay, so God reappears to Abram. He's almost 100 years old. He's pushing 100. And he says, I'm going to make you so fruitful. Abraham's probably looking down at his body thinking, what? Right? Okay, now he gives them the sign of circumcision. All right, now jump all the way down to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. Now this is where Abraham starts to freak out. Right here. And I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. 
Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of many nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. Okay, he's doubting this. That's the laughter of doubt. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, look, look at this, with anguish, right? He wants his plan to stand before God. Oh, that who? Ishmael may live before you. And God said, what's the word? No. He says the same things to us today, to all of our works of the flesh. He says, no. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Now, what you have to understand is that Sarah also responded with laughter. You don't have to read it. I'll just tell you the story real quick. The next chapter in Genesis 18, the Lord reappears to Abraham with a couple of angels, and they're standing outside of Abraham and Sarah's tent, right? In Genesis 18, God starts to have a conversation with Abraham, and he reiterates the promise. He says, um, at the time of life, I'm going to uh, return to you, and I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. Now, when, when the Lord said that to Abraham, they're outside the tent, Sarah was inside the tent, and she's sitting there, and she has her ear pressed up against the tent. She's eavesdropping. And when the Lord said to Abraham, Sarah will have a son, she did the same thing Abraham did back in the, uh, chapter 17. She laughed to herself. It's the laughter of doubt. Right? And then you got to love this part of the story. Then the Lord says to Abraham, not to Sarah, but to Abraham, by the way, guys, you're the leader of your marriage. You're the leader of your home. God will always go to you because you're responsible. And he says to Abraham, why did your wife Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for me? God doesn't like it when we doubt him. God doesn't like it when we say he's not trustworthy. God doesn't like it when we doubt. Doubts from the devil, right? Because God's name is awesome. And what he says, he will do. And when we doubt him, we're saying, you're a promise breaker, God. Why did, why did Sarah laugh? And I love this. From inside the tent, Sarah goes, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and God said, yes, you laughed. Okay, I say all that to show you that at first, right, at first, Abraham and Sarah struggled with God's promise, right? But then, I love this part, their faith became unwavering. Their faith became strong. Right now, some of you are, are struggling with God's promises, your relationship with the Lord, right? The Lord wants you to understand just like Abraham and Sarah, you need to cross that gulf of doubt and you need to just take God's word to the bank. You need to trust him. You need to put your faith in him and him alone. You got to come to that point in your life. Because 
here's what happened. Guess what? Nine months later, there's Isaac. You remember his name? Laughter. That's what you do when a 90-year-old woman has a baby, right? And now they're laughing. They're laughing. It's not the laughter of doubt. It's the laughter of God. So good. It's the laughter of joy. So now that you know the background of what Paul is saying, look back at Romans 4. Okay, so Romans chapter 4. Speak, uh, starting in verse 19, speaking about Abraham, look at 19, and not being weak in faith, okay, so he crossed that gulf of doubt. He, Abraham, did not consider his own body already, what's the word, dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God. That's what happens when we cross the gulf of doubt and we begin to take God's word um, at face value. We begin to trust in the trustworthiness of God. Listen, that brings God great glory. Verse 21, and being fully convinced that what God promised he was able to perform. Okay, and so here's your next point if you're taking notes, and that is that God is able to fulfill his promises. Now, if you're new to the Bible, there are hundreds and hundreds of promises for every area of life. But if you're not in the word of God every day, you're not going to know what those promises are. Some of you guys, you know, you can, you, you, you can actually uh, go to CBD or Amazon. You can get books on the promises of God. Um, people have taken the promises out and put them in book form. So you can actually, uh, I think we have books at home, promises for men and promises for women. I think that's good, right? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We rehearse these promises of God. And so God is able to fulfill his promises, I could go off into any area of life right now, but really quick, what I want to do is I want to share with you some of God's promises that have to do with our security in Christ. Later on in Romans, I can't wait till we get there, I, I can explain it in detail, but check out this promise of God in Romans 8. Okay, you ready? For whom he, what's the word? Foreknew. He also, what's the word? predestined. Some of you are thinking, I don't believe in predestination. Well, God said it. <laughs> it's right there in his word. You can't take the part out that you don't like and just read the stuff you like. Okay, so whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Whom he predestined, these he also, what? And whom he called, these he also, what? There's our word, acquitted declared righteous, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's getting our brand new glorified body in the kingdom age. Now, look at those underlined words. I imagine those as links. Each link is a promise of God. It is the unbreakable chain of God's promises right there in those verses. Because those promises come from God, because those links in the chain come from God, they cannot, they will not be broken. 
And so if God thought about you before the foundation of the world, and here's what happened. He predestined you. And if he predestined you, then he called you. Maybe he hasn't called you yet. Maybe right now the Lord's saying, I'm calling you. And if he called you, he will justify you. And if he justifies you, he will glorify you. You know what that tells me? It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. That's our security in Christ. And again, I can't wait to get there so I can go over all these words in detail with you. But look at John now. 1 John 5.13. John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may... what." Know that you have eternal life. Again, churches teach all the time. No one can be sure until you die. That's not what the Bible says. He wants you to know. My favorite one of all, I say it all the time, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them, what kind of life? Eternal life, and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I had a lady come to me in between services, and she said, I, I, I said a prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, am I going to be able to recognize your voice when you come? And she said, the Spirit spoke, moved in her heart and said, my sheep hear my voice. And she's crying. You see how good God is? You see how awesome and wonderful the Lord is? Someone says, but I don't feel like I'm saved. Stop living by your feelings. I didn't feel like going to church when my alarm went off at 5.50 a.m. today. You say, you're the pastor. I'm just being truthful with you. At 5.50 a.m., I thought, oh, man. <laughs> but guess what? I'm here. You know why? I don't live by my feelings. I live by faith. I live by faith. You say, but I, I messed up this week. You don't know what I did. Listen, your justification has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what Christ already did. You need to just take his word to the bank. You need to be like Abraham and say what, what you said, God, I believe. And he will account it to you as righteousness. And I know, here's what happens. Whenever you get to places like this in the scripture, people will, will say, you know what, um, you can't do that because you're giving everybody a license to go party like wild animals and live far from God. You think that lady who had tears at the Welcome Center is going to go and be a party animal because God said, I love you and I'm going to save you no matter what you do? No, she's so happy. And joyful that this love and this grace of God motivates her to live for God. That's how it works. And anyone who says, well, I'm going to take all these promises as a license to go and party, you don't know the Lord. You just don't know him. And so look now at verse 21. Okay, once again, he emphasizes this in verse 21. And being, Abraham, being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform, verse 22, therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so he was saved, justified, acquitted, 
vindicated, declared righteous by faith alone. Verse 23, now, it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it, eternal life, was imputed to him. Righteousness, eternal life, was imputed to him. But, what's the next few words? Also for us. That's you. That's me. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All right. Everybody, please look up at me. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ was delivered up to death on a cross for your offenses and sins? Yes or no? Answer out loud, please. All right. Do you acknowledge that on the third day, he, what was dead, God spoke and came alive? And he walked out of that grave victorious over sin and death. Do you believe that he was resurrected for your justification? Yes or no? Okay, the question is now, is I, I love the fact that it's here. Is it here? Will you trust him with your whole life? Will you trust him with your whole eternity? As the worship team comes up, stay with me here because, listen, some of you are thinking right now, this is a really big decision and I don't want to make it right now. Okay? Listen. I know it's a big decision, but, but here's, here's my final plea, okay? I'll put it this way. You trust imperfect people all the time, every day of your life. Why not trust the perfect Son of God? Right? When your doctor prescribes you medication, and this, this is what scares me about doctors, None of them write legibly. <laughs> Makes me nervous, right? And so when they scribble whatever that is, and you're really hoping and trusting that the pharmacist can decipher this, right? But here's, here's what you do. You pop that pill without even thinking twice. That, thing could, that pill could kill you. What have you done? You put your trust in an imperfect person. Today when you're driving home, every time you go through a green light, you're trusting that the people coming up on the left and on the right are actually going to stop at their red light so you can go through. You don't even think about it, but you're trusting them. When you're at the airport and you walk through that tunnel and you take that final step onto that aircraft, <laughs> completely out of your control, what are you doing? You're trusting in that airplane that it was designed correctly, maintained. You're trusting in the pilot that he actually knows what he's doing. You're trusting imperfect people. Why not trust the Lord? Because here's the thing. Some of you aren't there yet. It's just up here. Here's your final verse. As many as received Jesus, to them and only them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Notice I underlined received and I underlined believe because they're synonyms. My concern is that there's people in this church and you have a head knowledge, but you don't have a heart knowledge. 
You've got to trust Jesus Christ, what he said. You've got to take it to the bank, him and him alone, with your life and your eternity. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.